Being cold-blooded is usually fine, as long as you live in a warmish area. But what about the chilly bloods living in the less than warm regions of the world? Some dig into the ground, some just die, and others, like the wood frog, take the cold like a champ. Find out how this frigid frog avoids becoming a permanent frogsicle in the Yukon here in Life, Death, and Taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm... Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie Michelle on YouTube. And thank you to Brian for the creation of this week's artwork. To check that out, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at LD Taxonomy. Or visit us at our home on the web at LDTaxonomy.com. And today we're talking about a chill amphibian with a cool pair of sunglasses. But more on that later. Sunglasses? Sort of. Ah, I must have missed something. Maybe there's there's another little fact in there. (laughs) But yeah, uh, this one was a uh, recommendation to me by my brother-in-law, Caleb. Uh, He has a friend who is a... um, I want to say he works at a an institute of biology somewhere for the military maybe because he's in the air force um and he recommended this friend recommended to my brother-in-law this animal because it has a pretty cool ability but what which frog are we talking about we're talking about the wood frog would you kindly talk about the frog yeah it's bioshock did you ever beat bioshock not the first one, but I I played enough to hear that a lot. And to know the twist. Well, I've been spoiled to know, like, kind of basically what the twist is, but... Yeah, I mean, what it... I don't know like fully what the twist is. 13-year-old game or something like that. 14-year-old game. Yeah. Like, eventually, it'll... The spoiler makes its way to you. Uh, but, yeah, we're, ca- we're talking about the wood frog. Otherwise known as the frog in the iceberg. That's a episode one of avatar reference uh the flippantly frozen frog farce hmm. and ribbit j fry good because you know ah i get that one get it. Was, i understood that reference philip j fry was frozen for a thousand years spoilers <laughs> for the first five minutes of futurama episode <laughs> one but uh, there's two references to episode the first episode of my some of my favorite shows, but how about you taxonomize this this wood frog for us? I'd love to. It's in the kingdom you know, love, and are in the kingdom Animalia. The phylum is Chordata. The class is Amphibia. Mm-hmm. The order is Anura. That's frogs. True frogs. Don't bother me. Uh, true. <laughs> <That's so dumb. laughs> the family is Ranidae. The genus is Lithobates or Lithobates. That sounds right. That second one. Lith- Lithobate Motel. <laughs> and then the species is Silv- Silvaticus. 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 Yeah. 
Lithobates, Sylvaticus. Sylvatican City. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Very good. Well, since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for nitty-gritty nitty-gritty nomenclature. Nitty-gritty yeah, you knew this was coming. <laughs> uh, there's only one collective noun for frogs, and that's an army. And we frogs are interesting, and there's lots of different kinds. So got to get a bit creative with this segment. Um, but fortunately, nitty-gritty nomenclature comes in clutch. A clutch of frog eggs, for to, to be precise. So, Joe, Lithobates, Lithobates, Sylvaticus. Mm-hmm. So I, I had, I have to be a little um, uh, sneaky with this because it's pretty clear what kind of the theme for each word is. If you know a little bit of uh, of Latin, um, so. Let's see if you can get this one. Does litho- okay. Lithobates sylvaticus mean A, forest stone, B, rocky forest dweller, C, wooden boulder, or D, rock climber of the woods? Give me the first two ones again. Forest stone and rocky forest dweller. I'm going to say Rocky Forest Dweller. Is that your final answer? Yes. You said that like Jasmine says that to Aladdin when he says, do you trust me? Yeah. Yes. Uh, final answer. Uh, incorrect. The answer was Rock Climber of the Woods. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there was I knew rock and forest and that's all I could go on. So Yeah, I mean litho like that's that's pretty obviously rock or stone, monolith, that kind of stuff. And then if you've played magic, any just sylvan is all over the place. So um and that means forest. So rock and forest I knew were in there. Um but yeah, rock climber. Lithobates actually means to tread upon rock or to climb rocks. Um, okay. Sylvaticus just means of of for of the forest, of or relating to forests. Yeah, when we're going into this, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to have an edge. I know some of these words. <laughs> I know some of these words. <laughs> okay, would you like um, a description of this boy? Mm-hmm. I sure would. Wood frogs are small, brown frogs with khaki tan skin uh, and a dark brown bandit mask that goes from their nose tip to the back of their upper mouth. And that's the sunglasses I was talking about. Bandit masks on animals are like for style or for, you know, like just kind of like the same reason a uh, football player puts like the black marks under his eyes. Yeah, I thought it was like a. I thought it linked in with the chill, the chill factor, but it's just the sunglasses. Only just chill. Only in that he's cool. Yeah, he is very cool. Sunglasses do make you cooler. Wear them at all times, they, including they inside. Uh, some, some species are, or some specimen are extremely dark brown, all over. Uh, they also have dark brown stripes on their legs. And their bellies are pale, sometimes yellow or green. So they're hid- hiding 
hidden little splash of color. They're cowardice. They're yellow-bellied cowardice. Yeah. But now that you, you can picture a frog, mm-hmm. you can picture a tan frog, but how big is it? Is it like twice the size of a man? Uh, there's only one way to find out. That would be fun. Can you imagine a frog being that big? That would not be fun. If you ever... Uh, there's a game called Mortal Shell and you... You just turn a corner and suddenly just there is a there's like a cow sized frog sitting there, and if you can play a guitar for it and it'll it'll love you for your music. Oh, I thought frogs were more partial to banjo music, but I mean it's kind of like a lute. I guess guitar is wrong. <laughs> uh, it's old, old it's old timey lute music, uh, and he digs it for sure. Uh. Welcome to the Beloved Measure Up segment, the official listener's favorite part of the show. The part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also part of the show that's introduced by you. When you send an audio of yourself saying, singing, or croaking the words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. I change it to croaking, but this particular frog, you could say it chitters. Um, Also, croaking means dying, so... You know. We don't have a new measure up intro this week. Rats. Uh but Nora sent us the history of black uh red velvet cakes. Um <laughs> and it's pretty interesting. Like apparently there was a recipe that was lost to time. Like this recipe that the the cocoa just turned red when it reacted to the buttermilk. So then it was re it like kind of reemerged. And it wasn't a big hit until the movie Steel Magnolias made a um, an armadillo-shaped uh, cake, which she says, what does she say? It looks horrific. <laughs> and I did. And it does. <laughs> it looks horrible. It looks, it's like made to look like roadkill because it's like you cut into it and it's red. Uh. Uh, but then... Because of that movie, they were like, this is amazing. We love this. Red Velvet's the best. So then they started making it, and then this other guy, Ben Starr, reverse-engineered it to find the original recipe. And there's an explanation she gives, but uh, basically something with the acidity of the the cocoa. Um, He found a way to make it react not or not react to the baking soda. Anyway, now our red velvet is more. We have more legitimate red velvet cake, where the the cocoa um, mixes and turns red. I just cannot believe that it's just red chocolate. It's just it's chocolate cake. It just looks red. Like there's there's so much of a difference in taste. Well, she says, a true red velvet cake, uh, and then she says, apparently it tastes like a banana cake, but richer rather than tasting like a chocolate cake. So if you've had a red velvet cake baked by someone who's done their research, it's entirely possible that you loved it despite it not, despite not loving chocolate cake. So even though it's cocoa, it tastes different. So I, I just haven't had a bad red velvet cake yet. Unless it's just colored chocolate cake. Yeah, I wouldn't like that very much. I mean, it's still cake. It's not like I'm going to spit it out, but it's not, <laughs> not wouldn't be that much of a, of a fan. An arm, a, a roadkill armadillo cake. 
Mm, love it. I remember when... Um, I remember when I lost my mind. We were... <laughs> We were uh, prepping for Bibby's uh, baby shower, and she told me that someone was bringing a diaper cake. Good. I was like, that's disgusting. Um, I mean, it's going to look disgusting. It's probably going to taste pretty good. I was imagining like a big chocolate cake in that was like had like maybe some white frosting on top, and it looked like a diaper, and you cut into it, and it's all brown on in the inside. Like, oh, that's nasty, but I bet you it still tastes good. Um, turns out it's just, it's just a tiered cake um, that's made up of uh, individually wrapped and rubber banded diapers, which was less tasty, uh, believe me, um, but also wow. a lot more useful. It was it, So this is a thing. Yeah, yeah. So what you do, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it looks like a tiered wedding oh, cake. Oh, I see it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, it took us quite a while to get through those because there were so many, and it was uh, it was very very helpful. So I'm glad it was what it was, and not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're doing something a little bit different since we don't have a measure up uh, intro, and I am going to give you. So in the movie 101 Dalmatians, there is the Twilight Bark. Which is lighting the beacons of Gondor, but in dog form. Okay. Do you remember that part of the movie? I've seen that movie probably all the way through once a long time ago. It's just it's just a, a dog barking, hearing, uh, like, and then passing the message with more barking. I am to other you, you. So there's multiple dogs on this trail. The lighting the beacons uh, analogy works much, much, much better for me. So I'm gonna play you a bark on the chain of the Twilight Bark. And you're going to tell me what uh, dog is barking. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. Is that A, a Scottish Terrier? B, an Afghan hound. C, an English sheepdog. Or D, a Labrador, a Labrador retriever. Um, All dogs that are in the movie. Uh, hound, whichever one the hound was. Uh, final answer. That's Afghan hound. Yep. Final answer. Okay, that is incorrect. What? It was a Scottish terrier. I have never heard a Scottish Terrier um, bay like that and howl. <laughs> well, it was probably like Jim Cummings or something <laughs> doing it. <laughs> this is the, the Scottish Terrier goes, or the Afghan Hound goes right afterwards. No, Jim Cummings just does all the recreations of the. Uh, of <laughs> that one's the Afghan Hound, and it definitely sounds like a person doing it. Yeah, I. I uh, wow. I've hung out with Scottish Terriers. <laughs> I was thinking, I thought you might be a little bit more familiar with the movie. I was, I am, I am not. That, that, that and Lady of the Tramp, two dog focused movies, even though I like dogs, they just, they're just not very interesting to me as Disney movies. Lady of the Tramp. And I also never saw whatever the new, or the Cruella movie. 
which I don't think would have helped me either. No. In the in the uh, rapidly expanding sympathize with the villain um, genre, Disney universe genre yeah. of of movies. Okay, let's talk a length. The wood frog is fifty one to seventy millimeters, or two point zero to two point eight inches. How many frogs go would it take to go to go into the length traveled by Anne Keene when she broke the record for the fastest crossing of Canada on foot by a woman? So I just need to know how long it how what the what the distance is. Yeah. So here's a hint. Keen ran from St. John's, Newfoundland to uh, Tofino, British Columbia between April and September of tw- two, 2002. That's some Forrest Gump stuff right there. Yeah. I was thinking that exact thing when I was reading this. We At one point, we knew how f- I, like I needed to know what the distance was from sea to shining sea in the u.s and that would help me a lot um but i don't remember what it was maybe it was six thousand miles well we'll go with that six thousand miles um oh now i gotta do math i forgot (laughs) there's a second part to this i can't just guess how many wood frogs how many 2.8 inches go into six thousand miles or whatever you said uh, one hundred and thirty-five point seven million. One hundred and thirty-five point seven million. That seems final answer. Yeah, one hundred and thirty-five point seven million. That is incorrect. It's one hundred and ten million point one hundred and ten point one. That is okay. It's not a win. But, but it's close. It's within like what, like ten percent. That's it's good. what my sister calls the worst ki- kind of measure up, <laughs> or, <laughs> where it's not far enough to be funny, and not close enough to be a win. <laughs> and she's uh, and she's our only patron, so we really just we really need to <laughs> to cater to the the kind of content that she wants. So can I change my answer to seven? <laughs> uh, or 110 no. <laughs> that million it is let's uh, let's talk weight okay there are 0.28 ounces or 7.9 grams how many wood frogs go into the amount of ferrero rocher i think that's how you say that pieces in grams that leah shutkiever ate in two minutes and one second. I feel like she could take two minutes and one second to eat one for a Rocher candy, but I I don't think that anyone would know about that. Well, this hint would be helpful. So, uh, Shut Kiever broke the record that was previously held by Canadian Peter Furious Pete uh, Zerwinski in 2020. Peter Furious Pete Zerwinski. Yeah, that, Peter. That person uh, definitely is the owner of the Shrink Ray and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That's Rick Moranis <laughs> right there. If I, I can't only think of Rick Moranis. Wayne Zielinski Wayne is Zielinski. his name, right? Um, but Furious Pete. <laughs> I love it. Furious Pete is this jacked, like, competitive eater. 
or I don't know if, or if he's just like a, a record eater. Um, but he's got like four or five records, but she just broke this one for him. Wow. Two minutes and one second. It's 121 seconds. Uh, this is a much better eating contest than the one we talked about last time. <laughs> uh, not only because it didn't result in anyone's death, uh, at least not directly. Um, but also it just it sounds this one sounds so much more pleasant um to win and to lose two pounds oh that's so much chocolate so 114 if so if she was instead of eating forever Rocher uh delicious chocolate she was eating these ridiculous frogs um she would eat, be able to eat 114 of them in 2.1 minutes or two, two minutes and one second. This, there's no way this is right. Two pounds is so much <laughs> chocolate, but whatever. It's final answer. I think it's definitely record breaking. I think go. Yes. That's my final answer. 114. The correct answer is 23.7 frogs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she, she ate 15 Ferrero Rochers. Oh man. Totaling. 800 or 887.5 grams or 0.4 pounds oh she so all, nearly half a pound for two pounds she would have had to garfield that directly into her stomach yeah it's not <laughs> two pounds might be possible but not in two minutes no and also you have to unwrap each one probably yeah i didn't i didn't take into account the logistics of eating that i was thinking more of just like this one big melted like pile <laughs> of uh of Ferrero Rocher that you could kind of shovel into your mouth. And I feel like two pounds would be um, feasible. You might die from it, but um, I don't know. All right. Yeah. Wow. That was, that was way, way off. <laughs> when I saw that, it was just such a funny record. Ferrero Rocher, like such a specific thing to eat. I know. Is there a, is there a dove, uh, Contest is there? A, is there a Ghirardelli Reese's con- contest? Is there? Um, no, that's all the choc- That's all the fancy chocolate I know, and I even include Dove in there. <laughs> Fifteen though, like doesn't it doesn't seem that like that, like that seems like such an inta- attainable record. Yeah, I I don't think it's like oh, I can fit it in my. Why two two minutes and one second? That's so like. Why not that, a, that it was it was the time? Yeah, but like one that's so two minutes in one second is more than two minutes. So, so then it's a not it's it's not how much she can eat in two minutes. It's, it's no no no. the The record was the t- the amount of time it took her. Oh oh oh! I see. Gotcha. So the standard is eating fifteen pieces, <laughs> but how fast can so, you yeah, do that's, it? So yeah, that's that's easy. Uh, is eating fifteen pieces. Um, interesting. I that's that's one I could see myself going for. Of all the yeah. world records you've mentioned, that seems like the the one that is the most attainable and uh, most fun. Yeah it it doesn't require you to like trek across a continent or eat a, th- a ton of like insects or like build it or, or like uh hire 300 people to uh cook a noodle that's a mile <laughs> yeah. long <laughs> yeah 
Uh, but that's all I got for that. Would you like to hear some fast facts or, before we get into the major facts? Or grow a 25-foot-tall sunflower? Okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> it only ta- it takes skills you can attain. Yeah, I can attain right here in the comfort of my home office. Um, let's get into some fast facts. Mm-hmm. Wood frogs like to live in northern forests, but they can be as far south as Georgia, North Georgia. Um, especially they especially like to live in freshwater wetlands and vernal wetland ponds, which are seasonally occurring bodies of water. They're diurnal, which means they live during the they like to they're active during the day, um, and they tend to sleep through the night unless they're breeding. Um, they mostly like to eat bugs and invertebrates that can be found on the forest floor. Tadpoles are omnivorous and eat algae and other tadpoles, including their own species. So not cool, tadpole. Yes. Let's all get together and judge the juvenile species (laughs) of this version of this frog. (laughs) They mate in the spring and you can hear a chorus of chittering croaks during the mating season. Um... And they do that at night. So they if they they stay up late to uh, during the mating season. Um, Makes sense. They breed in these temporary seasonal ponds, which helps them avoid predation from fish and other animals that frequent permanent bodies of water. Smart. Yeah, it does make Smart. sense. Um, but they like to hide hide in leaf litter, which is aided by their shades of brown coloration. How many shades but of brown? That uh, three at least. No. <laughs> it, it is mating season. But that's all I got for that. Do you have any quick big facts? Quick big facts. Oh, I guess I'll try to... Jumped over the lazy dog. <laughs> what? Is that an acronym that I don't... Yeah, the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog. It's like a test sentence. Because it, uh, especially for, I think, fonts, because it includes every letter of the alphabet. Oh, it's a test sentence. I was like, for taking tests? <laughs> Got it. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So this major fact, I didn't, I have a placeholder name. It's just called Frozen Blood, but there's, there's just nothing. That sounds like a uh, Andre Sapkowski novel. Sure. He wrote The Witcher. I know what you're talking about. Oh, is that he's the writer of The Rest of The Witcher? Blood of Hell's Sword of Destiny. The Last Witch. Frozen Blood. Frozen Blood. That's not probably <laughs> not what he sounds like. Probably sounds much more Polish. Yeah. <laughs> um whatever that sounds like. Anyway, so in case you haven't noticed, there is an issue with being cold-blooded uh, being a cold-blooded amphibian uh and also living in Canada and Alaska. Uh, it gets cold. Real cold. Like super duper cold. Uh, which is why that lady ran between April and September and not the other way around. Because <laughs> that would have been <laughs> yeah. rough business. It's, it's incentive to get get done before it's cold. Yeah, she she was on a time limit for sure. There's, there's no lollygagging because uh, another week and... Uh, she would have frozen, which would have been bad for her. 
but not so bad for the wood frog. Because being cold-blooded in the cold under normal circumstances is a recipe for bad times because you're ectothermic, meaning that your body temperature is based on your environment or the temperature around you. Uh, this means that your body temperature will be pretty darn low during the winter. So you don't tend to see a lot of reptiles, amphibians, um, and uh, the like living, you know, north of the snow belt. Uh, they, they tend to favor more tropical climates where they can stay warm or become warm if they need to. Not really the case uh, up north. But this, you know, being endothermic and ectothermic, endo being you regulate your own body temperature on the inside. Uh, ecto, like I said, it's based on your environment. Uh, each of these things come with a trade-off. Mammals and birds are warm-blooded. Uh, and so we regulate our own body temperature, then we don't let the environment tell us what to do. Um, so being hot or cold, uh, in the environment isn't necessarily super bad and doesn't change our body temperature all that much. It can, but only in the extremes. Uh, the downside is that warm blooded beasts are very limited in the temperature ranges that their bodies can be in, in order to survive. So if, you know, mammals and birds, if their bodies get too hot or cold, usually like by a, there's like a 10 to 15 degree range for mammals and birds uh, before like serious complications arise. Like uh, our, what we're 98.6 is our, um, is the internal body temperature for humans. Go 10 degrees in either direction and you're gonna probably die. Uh, so, <laughs> or you're at least gonna be in dire straits. Um, particularly in, you might survive 108 fever, but you're probably not going to survive having an 80, uh, internal body temperature of 88. Um, so the, you know, so there's a very limited range that we can survive. On the other hand, ectotherms, uh, can survive a much larger range of body temperatures. Um, so if their, their body temperature can go, you know, quite a bit down and they'll still be fine or quite a bit up. Um, but the trade-off, obviously, is that they need to manage their body temperature uh, by finding ways to stay warm or to cool off, um, depending on what's needed. So, and additionally, ectotherms can also speed up the, or slow down their metabolisms based on the temperature. That also helps them regulate it as well. Um, but the wood frog uh, has a different method for surviving through the freezing winters of the Great White North. Uh, their blood and also the uh, water in their body actually freezes. They just freeze up. And not that doesn't mean they just stop moving. It means they actually become a frozen frogsicle. <laughs> the, the way that their blood freezes without killing them is a matter of no small amount of chemistry. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll, we'll, we'll take a, a bird's eye view for this, particularly a bird looking for frogsicles. Um, so the frog generates urea in its tissues uh, the closer that winter approaches. And your profit? The what? The profit, Uriah? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the people were calling him Uriah and snickering behind his back. And then he just summoned bears on them. 
um like a, <laughs> like a, i what is it elisha does that but anyway this is urea <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's uh, if it sounds like urine, that's because that's where it is in mammals. Um, it's a it's a tiny crystalline solid that's found in uh, mammals' urine. Um, but in the wood frog, it interacts with glucose uh, generated by the liver, and these two substances work to limit the amount of ice or the number of ice crystals that form in the tissues and blood as the frog freezes um and so the way it does is glucose helps keep water inside cells when it gets cold in mammals when the water in your blood turns to ice um this ends up drawing water f out of the cells and into uh, like and on the outside of the membrane and this dehydrates the cells and the cells die and that's called frostbite um, irreversible cell death due to dehydration in cold temperatures. Um, but with glucose, with a lot of glucose, um, in the cells, it keeps the water in place even when the blood freezes. So the cells don't get dehydrated. They don't shrink. Um, and so with these systems in place, the wood frogs can survive and thaw back out uh, as long as less than 65% of their body water freezes. So if they go over 65%, they have a much higher chance of not thawing or thawing back out and not being alive when that happens. Um, in this state, they can stay frozen for over seven months, which is good because winter is forever in the Yukon. Um, as anyone that lives up there can tell you, it just seems to last an eternity. Um, but the frogs don't care because they are unconscious and frozen the whole time. Um, and they can survive temperatures hovering around zero degrees Fahrenheit or whatever degrees Celsius that means. Um, that's probably good to know. I should probably know what the Celsius is because we're talking about Canada here and I think they care about centigrade. Um, <laughs> It's less than zero degrees Celsius, I'll tell you that. Um, so during this time, the frog's heart stops. Their blood obviously doesn't flow, so they don't. their heart doesn't need to, to pump. And uh, they basically function as little frozen frogsicles uh, until they thaw and hop away like everything's normal in the spring. Um, and I don't know if you've... Again, I'll, I'll, this is the second time I'll reference Avatar. Um, but there's an episode where he needs to find frogs for his friends to suck on because they're sick. And some like medicine lady tells him, tells Aang that he needs to find these frogs and, and give them to him so they, they'll, they'll get better. Um, and he pulls these frogs out of this bog and they're, they're frozen. Um, and if they thaw out, then they become useless. So he's kind of racing against the clock to get these, these frogs, uh, to his friends before they thaw. <laughs> um and so that's this is exactly what i was thinking of maybe they were exactly these frogs which is it's very odd that they're not that they're just normal frogs because every animal in that show is almost every animal in that show is like a hybrid animal like a platypus bear or a a chick or a chicken pig or I thought Whatever. you were going to reference the fact that Aang was frozen in the first episode. Well, I did. That's why I called him the frog in the iceberg. 
Aang is the uh, boy in the iceberg, which is the name of the first episode of that show. Mm. Um, mm. I was gonna do something with like Walt Disney's favorite superhero or something like that. Like he would, but I don't know. Walt Disney's frozen, and he's dead <laughs> because you can't. Um, this is the this is a problem with being frozen as a as a mammal or as an animal that doesn't generate this level of um, urea and glucose uh, to keep the cells from dehydrating is that you know your uh, ice crystals form they draw water out of the cells the cells become dehydrated and you have irre- irreversible cell death across your entire body um, when your blood freezes or the water in your body freezes as well. Um, so this is why we currently do not have a way to freeze someone, a, a, a mammal, a human being, uh, and have them stay in, in uh, cryostasis for, you know, a thousand years like like uh, Ribbit J. Fry. Yeah. But we'll figure it out maybe by studying the wood frog a bunch or maybe by injecting a bunch of glucose into someone or maybe just by having them eat a bunch of cookies with sugar. You can pay to have yourself flash frozen for a lot of money though yeah i mean that's an expensive suicide i guess <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's like yeah that's a good that's that's a good point i don't i don't i'm not sure if everyone just immediately dies but as far as i know right now there's there you you can't do it i think it's probably at the moment of your death once you're dead they do this that and the hope is, like, in the future, technology will be able to regenerate even that. That makes sense. It's like, oh, you know, you have, like, this, you know, cancer's taken over, f- freeze you. I mean, I, I guess it's like, it can also be a Hail Mary. Like, the you know, just before you die, you just do this because it's, you know, death is coming anyway. And this at least gives you the potential to be un- unfrozen and healed sometime in the future. I can see the appeal because it's when death is inevitable. I mean, it is inevitable. This got dark. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the wood frog. It has figured out the secret to cryostasis, which is the only way that we'll ever get to visit another galaxy. Very true. And that's all I got. That's all I got. So, that was the wood frog. For you out there in Podcastia, stick around for winter. Don't let ice crystals form in your blood. And by all means, keep your cells full of water, like the wood frog here in Life, Death, and Taxonomy. Hey Taxonomy Titans, I just want to remind you that we now have a Patreon. Patrons can see full video episodes and get shoutouts on the show. But ultimately, it's a way for you to help us cover some costs and get even better. Still, reviews are the best way to help us grow. So if you haven't left one yet, we'd really love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening and engaging. Uriah was a priest in the book of Isaiah.
that serves as a witness to the to the uh, prophecy about Assyria invading, and then the Christmas one. The, the after that happens, the prophecy about the Christmas about Christmas. Front to us, a child is born. 